Gateway family, it is great to see you here this morning as we gather together on the Lord's Day to worship Him and study His Word and to sing His praises. Grateful for those of you here in the sanctuary, those watching in the gym, and those who are worshiping from home. We are so thankful that we get to gather together this morning. Just a few things we want to mention to you before we enter our time of worship. First of all, to our members, you should have received an important update from the elders via email on Friday, and then in the form of a letter. If it hasn't come Saturday, it should come on Monday. Please give attention to that letter and look over that. And we just want to say thank you, church family, for your prayers during this time, for the way that you have led during this time. And as you read the letter, if you have any questions, please reach out to us and let us know. We want to answer your questions, and we're here to serve you. So please let us know if you have any follow-up or questions you'd like to ask about what you see in that letter. Just a few updates of things going on in the life of the church as well. For the ladies, it's not too late to join our ladies' Bible studies on Wednesday night and one over Zoom on Monday night. We have a study of Jonah led by Trish Butterfield. Trish is right over here. So ladies, come see Trish if you want to know. There's a study that started last Wednesday here in the building in person. It's not too late to join that. But if you're particularly at home, worshiping from home this morning, and rather do a Zoom Bible study. Trish is doing it starting tomorrow night, 6 o'clock over Zoom, and so the information is on the blog. You can get in touch with Trish through that and find out how to log into the Zoom and join the ladies as they study Jonah on the Zoom Bible study tomorrow night. There's also another in-person Bible study Wednesday night, Discerning the Voice of God with Karen Fowler. Karen's back over here in the back of the room, so see Karen if you'd like more details. Again, if you're worshiping from home or in the gym, you can also go to our blog, gatewaybaptist.com, for all the details on that. Now for the men, we had a great men's um, day hike yesterday. I'm still recovering, so if I start to get trembly during the sermon, I have to grab a stool. You know what it is. They pushed me hard for 4.2 miles, and we had a great time on that. It was an amazing trip, and appreciate Mike, who's back on the drums, leading that trip for us. We have another opportunity for the men that Mike's putting together for us, and that is coming up October 9th and 10th, and we're doing an eight-mile hike over two days with backpacking overnight up at McDill Point on top of Chihaw Mountain. So we got an amazing uh, opportunity for the men who want to get out for some adventure and community and getting to know each other and enjoying God's creation. That'll be coming October 9th and 10th. Um, we do need you to pre-register for that one. Obviously, it's an overnight trip, and so the details are all on the blog. Please visit that for more information. One last announcement this morning. We have an incredible opportunity to help the public schools of Montgomery. We've had a long partnership with Capitol Heights Middle School. We have an opportunity to bless that school and help them this Saturday. Seth, who oversees that, he's one of our elders. He oversees our ministry to Capitol Heights. is going to come tell us how we can be involved and help this school. It's one of the neediest schools in Montgomery. Get ready for the start of students returning to campus. Yeah, real quick, I uh, just want to let y'all know next Saturday, September 19th at 9 a.m., we are going to go out to Capitol Heights Middle School on the campus there. They're getting ready to go back to Capitol Heights Middle School on the campus at in-person school. So we did this last year, just a campus cleanup day where we go out and we pick up trash and we put out pine straw and we trim bushes and we haul up weed eat, all that kind of thing. So if you would, please come out and just help us with that next Saturday at 9 a.m. We'll have some uh, light breakfast there. So if you would, please let me know. There's a blog on the church's website that has the details, has my contact information. So please just let me know if you're coming so we can make sure and have enough food. But one of the most important things, honestly, the work is probably not going to take long. us real long. And even if you're not able to do a lot of physical labor, please come and just pray over the school. That's going to be a really important thing, a really wonderful thing we did last year is just took time to pray over the school. There's going to be administration from the school there. We're partnering with our neighborhood association, so there's going to be people from our neighborhood there. Um, and there's going to be the families that we've been feeding through this ministry, the Capitol Heights families. We've invited them to come join us. So it would be a wonderful opportunity for you. There's going to be a lot of people that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So if you would just come and just be a presence there and build relationship there and pray over people in the school, that would be awesome too. Again, that's uh, next Saturday, September 19th at 9 a.m. Um, if you would now please stand. I'm going to read us a, a call to worship as we get ready to move into a time of worshiping the Lord. And this comes this morning from 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 14 to 22. 
And it says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So let's sing about the hope we have because of the resurrection in Christ. Thank you.
song's called For Sake of His Name. If you get a chance this week just to go back and just reflect on it, it's based out of Ezekiel 36. This group, Thousand Tongues, wrote this song, but it just highlights our position before God as uh, just sinners, just how we have just slapped God in the face, just how we are lost to our sin, how we are dead in our sin, and God's redemption, his redemptive purpose in our lives, ultimately for the glory of his name alone, and how he saves us for the glory of his name. So as we sing this this morning, just try to follow along, and uh, if you want to try to just, it's a real easy pattern to follow along with and learn a real simple song, just try to join in with us as you uh, feel comfortable, if not, just reflect on the lyrics. of his 
Father God, we thank you for today. We pray that that last song we sang would be true in our hearts, Lord, that we would recognize your sovereignty, that you are in control of all things, Lord. Lord, we pray that that, that would be true in our lives, Lord, that we could look to you and say, Lord, that it is well in my soul. We thank you for this opportunity to be here in person. Lord, we pray that you would be with our our nation, our community, our church as we navigate through um, this time of coronavirus. Lord, we pray that you would give our leaders in all aspects wisdom on how to handle the situation and respond. Pray for Lenny and Debbie Dixon as they minister here in in Montgomery through the ministry shepherd staff. Lord, we pray that 
their ministry would bear much fruit as they are meeting the needs of those who are hurting and lost here in Montgomery. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters that meet here on campus immediately after us at New Life in Christ. Lord, we pray for their ministry here to the Hispanic community. We pray for Eduardo and the whole leadership team at New Life in Christ, Lord, that they would seek to honor you and follow your will for their congregation. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters that we partner with in Haiti, Lord. We pray for Pastor Mark and his family, that you would give them protection, that you'd give them strength, that you'd give them peace um, and comfort, Lord. Lord, and we, we pray for the unreached people of Parachi, Afghanistan, who are predominantly Sunni Muslim. We pray that other Christians in Afghanistan would be bold and reach their neighbors with the gospel. And we pray that the Bible can be translated into the native tongues of that area. We know that you are, your word does not return void. And we pray that it would move in that area. Lord, we pray for the offering today that has been given uh, in the boxes in the back and online, Lord. And we pray that you would use those funds to advance your kingdom, not only here at Gateway, but throughout Montgomery and the rest of the world. Lord, we thank you that you've given us Grady to bring us the word each week. And we pray that you would be with him this morning as he shares and that you would give us ears to hear what you have prepared him to say on your behalf. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again, Gateway family. Great to see you this morning. I want you to find James chapter 4 in your copy of God's Word or in your Bible app, James chapter 4. As you're finding it, James keeps showing us week after week what it looks like to walk in faith. And by that we mean what it looks like to live out what we claim to believe as followers of Christ. But if you remember to two weeks ago, James showed us how far short we all fall in actually walking out our faith. How quickly we can become friends with the world. How quickly we can give our loyalties to the world and not to Christ. And how quickly, in his term, we can become spiritual adulterers. Well, that raises a question we come to this morning in James chapter 4, verse 7. And that is, why is it so hard to walk in faith? We spent 30 weeks so far walking through James of talking about how we walk in faith, and yet I still struggle and you still struggle. Why is it so hard for us to practically live out what we claim to believe as followers of Christ? Why is it so hard for us to find joy and peace in the hard times? Why is it so hard to tame our tongues? Why is it so hard to not show partiality? Why is it so hard to do all that James has been laying out for us in these previous three chapters? Well, as we think about what we've seen in the letter, James has given us two reasons so far of why it is so hard 
for us to walk in faith. Let me just remind you of those because that sets the stage for what we come to today. The first reason why James has shown us it's so hard to walk in faith is ourselves, our own sin nature. Think back to James chapter 1, verse 14. I know that was a long time ago in our journey through James, but James chapter 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own what? His own desire. That our greatest problem, friends, is not what's out there. Our greatest problem is what's right in here. The reason that we have so much trouble living out what we claim to believe is not the fault of what's out there. It's, it's our the own sin nature. Own because sin the evil nature. in our hearts wants the temptations that come our way. So the first reason James shows us why it's so hard to walk in faith is because of our own sinful desires. The second reason he showed us of why it's so challenging to walk in faith is because of the world around us. And by the world, we mean that whole system of worldviews that's opposed to God and opposed to his word that's contrary to all that God says. The temptations that come all around to try to pull us in. Now, we saw a glimpse of this just a few weeks ago in James chapter 4, verse 4. Let me remind you of that. He said, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so the reason why it's so hard for us to keep living out our faith is our own sinful desires, but also the world that is all around us. But today we come to the third reason of why it's so hard to walk in faith. If those two are not enough, we get one more today. And the reason, the third reason why it's so hard to walk in faith is because there is a very real spiritual being named Satan who opposes us. There's a very real spiritual being named Satan who opposes. Now, Satan is not a cartoon. He's not a little red being with a pitchfork that you see in the old cartoons from Saturday mornings. That's all cartoons. Satan is not a myth. He is a real spiritual being who hates God and who hates God's people and actively opposes, fights against, and tempts God's people. Satan works to stir up those desires in our own heart so that we do not walk in faith. He seeks to get us to follow the enticements of the world so that we do not walk in faith. Now, friends, if you think about these three enemies that we're fighting against, Satan, the world, and then our own sinful desires, if this were a, a, a human military battle, it would be pretty hopeless, wouldn't it? If you think about it, if this was a human military battle, we are flanked on all sides by those who want us to defect. We are flanked on all sides by people who are attacking and luring and enticing and pulling and trying to get us to not think like Christ, but to think like the world. If that's not enough, all that effort's being coordinated by a master general who has studied us since the day we are born and knows every weak spot, knows what we do, and knows how to coordinate those attacks to get us to fall. And if that's not enough for our de of our defeat in a human battle, our own hearts want to be on the other side so often of the time. So if this was a human battle, this would be really hopeless. But this is not a human battle. This is a spiritual battle, and friends, it is far from hopeless. We, by God's grace, can actually win this battle that we are in. Though the world tempts us and opposes us, though Satan is coordinating this to try to get us to follow their own sinful desires, wage war against us. It is not a hopeless battle. So we come to James chapter 4, verse 7. I want us to look for as we read this morning, what is the hope then? James chapter 4, verse 7, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Just one verse this morning. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, even as Alex was praying just a few minutes ago, praying for a people group who does not have your word, Lord, we are 
reminded of the treasure we have that we with our own eyes and our own language can read your unchanging revelation of yourself. Lord, may we not take for granted the blessing we have of being able to hold the Bible and to read the Bible and to study it and even to do so this morning in this room right now with big windows behind us, unafraid of what's going to happen. Lord, thank you for the treasure we have of studying your written word together. Help us appreciate that and I pray it would transform us. We know your word does not return void, so take your word and use it to sanctify us and grow us as your people today, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. So, friends, what is the hope to overcome? We are being battled against by our own sinful desires. We're being battled against by the world around us. Satan himself is working to oppose us. So, what is the hope? This is what I want you to see from James chapter 4, verse 7. God's grace enables us to resist Satan's schemes so we can obey God. What is the hope? That God gives us grace. That sustains, that sustaining grace that we talked about last week. The hope is not what I keep trying, locking up with determination. The hope is not if I just try hard enough, I can beat my sin nature. If I try hard enough, I can overcome Satan. The hope is that God gives us what we don't deserve, his grace, his strength, his sustaining power to enable us to walk in. So we're going to see this morning, victory is far more than just resisting Satan and saying no to sin. Victory comes with us obeying God and not just not sinning, but then doing what God has called us to do. God's grace enables us to resist Satan's schemes so that we can obey God. So what is the hope? The hope is God's grace. Now, as you're looking at this verse, you may be thinking, Grady, I do not see the word grace in this verse. Now, it's there, but in a different place. So look back at verse 7 with me again. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now, the grace is right there, but it's in that word, therefore. Therefore is probably one of the most important words in this verse and in the verses that follow. And today and next week, as we look at verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, we're going to see command after command after command after command. James doesn't waste any words. He just gives command, command, command of what we need to be doing. But all these commands are tied back to this word, therefore, here. And what is it therefore referring to? Go back up one verse to verse 6. But he gives more what? He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. What we're going to see today and what we're going to see next week, all these commands that follow have to be understood through this word, therefore. This all goes back to God gives more grace. Anything that we're told to do here, anything we're told to do and what we see in the next few weeks has to go back to this word, therefore. This is not possible in our own strength. This is not possible if we just try harder. This is not possible if we just get the right accountability. This requires God's supernatural sustaining grace to transform us. And back in our verse for today, that grace enables us to do something in particular. And look at what God's grace enables us to do. Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. That God's grace enables us to resist the schemes of Satan, the schemes of the devil. Now let me just remind us, because again, I think so often we hear the word devil or Satan, we can picture that red cartoon character with a pitchfork, or the person standing up on your shoulder trying to tempt you to sin that you see in the cartoons. Let me remind you of what this is talking about in Scripture. We saw this back in our study of Ephesians more than a year ago. The word devil is the Greek word diabolos, and it's a word that means adversary or accuser. It wasn't originally a name, it was a description, like an adjective. This is a person who's an accuser and an adversary, one who hates you, one who opposes you, and one who is your adversary. And over time, that description became used as a name for the spiritual being named Satan. When we think of the word devil, this is an adversary or an accuser, it reminds us that we are battling a very real enemy who is our adversary. A very real enemy who hates us and who opposes us. And he opposes us in different ways, but one of the main ways that he opposes us is he tempts us. 
He tries to stir up those desires in our heart, the problem within we talked about. He tries to entice us what the world offers out there. And he's trying to tempt us so that we fall. But his goal is not just for us to fall. His goal is for us to fall so he can then accuse us. Remember, the name devil means the accuser. He's the adversary and the accuser. So he is our adversary by tempting us. And then he accuses us because what he wants is us to fall so he can then accuse us. He wants to accuse us not only before God. He wants to accuse us to us. You loser. How can you call yourself a follower of Christ? You're worthless. He's trying to accuse us so we are sidelined and ineffective at glorifying God and doing what God wants us to do. This is a very real enemy who hates us and wants to accuse us. Now, why do we sometimes call him Satan? Here he says devil, other place in scripture says Satan. Well, Satan is the Hebrew, which is the language the Old Testament was written in, it's the Hebrew equivalent of the same thing. The word Satan in Hebrew means adversary or accuser. So you have two descriptions here, one from the Hebrew in the Old Testament, one from the Greek in the New Testament. Satan or devil both mean basically the same thing. They were descriptions that became used as a name for this spiritual being who hates us. And there's many other names in scripture. You'll see him called the tempter, the enemy, the evil one, the adversary, the deceiver, the great dragon, the father of lies. We could go on, but you see him described throughout scripture. All these describe a very real spiritual being. Let's take a step back here. Let me remind us, he did not start out that way. The Satan, the devil, was once an angel who served God. But but because of pride and sin in his own heart, he wanted the worship for himself. He wanted the glory for himself. And so he opposed God, which is futile, but he tried. He led other angels to try to oppose God and created a rebellion and tried to oppose God. And it did not work. He was defeated. Now we get a glimpse of this in Scripture in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And I just want to take you back to remember, this is who we are battling against. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned. So again, remember, Satan was an angel, what we call demons today. These were angels, but they sinned. They opposed God. They wanted the glory for themselves. But God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. But sometimes we have the danger of forgetting that this is real. Sometimes we also go to the other extreme danger if we get obsessed with this. And you see this in parts of Christianity. People ignore the reality there's a spiritual being and there's demons, where they almost get obsessed with this. We must also realize about Satan and his demons that his future judgment is certain. This is not a Star Wars type movie where you're never sure is the force or the dark side going to win. We know how this all turns out. That Satan's ultimate defeat is certain. There's no question about it. Revelation chapter 12 verses 9 through 11 gives us a beautiful picture of what is to come. And this should give us hope as we walk through these battles. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. So here you go. He's called a dragon. He's called a serpent. Who is called the devil and Satan. You see like four of his names all in one place right there. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, here it is again, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have, what's this next word here? They've conquered him. This is not like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen in the end. He has told us the enemy is going to be conquered. And they've conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Friends, there is no question how this ends. Satan will be defeated. God's people will prevail. And then he will be defeated. And the day is coming. He and the demons will be locked up forever. They can no longer tempt, no longer harm. And they will be forever punished and locked up. But until that day happens, he is actively working to oppose God and actually working to oppose God's people, us. And the reality check of what Satan's trying to do, we see a glimpse of in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. 
be watchful. Now, why do we need to think clearly? Why do we need to be watchful? Your adversary, here it is again, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, that sink in, friends, that he is actively working with his demons to try to devour, destroy those who follow Christ. And he has great intentionality in doing so. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Let me take us back there that we saw this when we studied Ephesians before. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may take your stand against the, what's this next word? The schemes of the devil. This is a Greek word that we translate into English, method. It's a Greek word, methodeia, and it means method. That we need to stand strong against the devil's schemes, methods, intentional strategy, and plans that he has against us. Now, friends, we need to let that sink in. Put all that together. The devil or Satan is a real, intelligent, spiritual being who for thousands of years has studied human nature. For thousands of years has hated God and hated God's people. And for thousands of years has studied people and knows how to tempt, knows how to stir up those simple desires in their heart, knows how to entice them with the world. And he is carefully strategizing and planning to do all he can to steal God's glory still and to oppose God's people. And he has a plan for me, he has a plan for you, he has a plan for this church to do all he can to destroy anything that brings God glory. And he is good at it. And is it any wonder then why it can be so hard for us to walk in faith when our own hearts deceive us, when the world tempts us, and behind it all is the spiritual being who is doing all he can to wreak destruction in our lives and in the lives of God's people. So what are we to do with that? Well, James tells us very simply with one simple word here, verse 7, resist the devil. We're told to resist his schemes. We're told to resist his attacks. This word resist is a military term that deals with battles. But there's an important clarification here. In the Greek, there is a term for military battles that means the, I guess if you say the offense, if you think in sports terms, the people who go after and attack the enemy. That's not the word that James uses here. The word James uses here is the defensive word, not the offensive word. It's a defensive word. It's the word that means to stand strong when someone stands on the wall of the city to guard the city. This is the word for resistance, not aggression. This is the word for standing strong, not going after. And friends, this is so important because there's not many good books on this topic of Satan and spiritual warfare. And on so many of these books, it makes it sound like we're supposed to go out and look for the battle and go find Satan out there and go cast him out in all these places. Friends, the command of Scripture is to resist. The command is not to attack. The command is to resist here because the reality is if we are in Christ, we are already under attack by him. We don't have to go looking for the battle. If we are in Christ, we are already in the battle. And the more we seek to glorify God, the more we seek to order our lives according to God's purpose, the more that thrusts us into the battle. So when we focus on loving God and loving people, making Christ known, we focus on the church being the church. That thrusts us in the battle. That is the aggression. And we need to be standing strong on the wall as we do those things God commands us to do, to be ready to resist, to defend. Now, how do we resist the enemy? How do we defend ourselves against his attack? Again, there's not many good books on this topic I can even recommend. That's why there's no books in the Resource Center on this topic yet. Um, But there's not a lot of good books out there because so much of this gets really mystical and strange and how we're to go resist the enemy. I think we overcomplicate. Can I suggest just four ways this morning we as followers of Christ can practically resist the enemy? Four simple things we can do, and this is nothing new if you've been around Gateway for a while. Number one, we resist the enemy by remembering the Word of God. We remember the Word of God. We go back to the Scriptures and read the Bible, and we think back to all that God has told us. I mean, think for just a minute about when Jesus was tempted. 
Luke chapter 4, verse 1. We go back to the account of when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. This gives us a great glimpse of how we resist and how we overcome when we're being attacked. Luke 4, 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Again, this was, guys, think of like hard things you've been through that last a week or two. This is 40 days. You're in a month and a half. He is alone in the wilderness and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I think that's one of those understatements in the Bible. Jesus in his humanity for 40 days has not eaten. I, I cannot imagine. And so he was hungry. So this is the place that he's being tempted. He's alone in the wilderness. He's hungry. He's not eaten for 40 days. Satan schemes, right? Verse 3, what does Satan do? The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Satan knows weak points, and he's going to do all he can to tempt. But what does Jesus do? Verse 4. And Jesus answered him, it is written. What does Jesus do? The Son of God himself, God in human flesh, to resist the enemy's attack. What does he do? He quotes scripture. He goes back, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He's tempted a second time. So let's jump up down to verse 8 in Luke 4. And when we have the second temptation and Jesus answers Satan the second time, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve, and him only shall you serve. And then Satan tempts him a third time in a different way. And then verse 12, as we jump down to And Jesus answered him, it is said, which is another way of saying it is written. You shall not put said, which is another way of saying it, the Lord your God, to the test. Every time when Jesus, God in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, is tempted, what does he do? He runs back to the scriptures. If the Son of God has to go back to the scriptures and his human flesh, we said to how much more, friends, is our victory and our hope found, not in our determination, not in some self-help thing, but in running back to the word of God. That's why we read it. That's why we study it. That's why we memorize it. So in the moment of temptation, which we don't know when those attacks are coming, we don't know when. We may not even be a place we can open our Bible. It can be while you're driving down the street. We have meditated and studied and memorized scripture. So when the temptation comes, we can do what Christ did and turn our minds back to the word of God and defeat the lies of Satan with the truth of God. Now, if you want to grow in studying the Word of God and even figuring out how do you meditate on the Word of God and memorize the Word of God, I do have a good book in the Resource Center for that one. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It is packed full of so much practical wisdom. If you're like, I need help in knowing the Word of God and memorizing it and meditating on it so I'm ready to resist, I cannot recommend that book enough for you. So number one, remember the Word of God. Number two, pray for God's help. Pray for God's help. We keep saying week after week, the only hope for change is the grace of God. If that's the only hope for change, then friends, we need to be asking for it. Not just in the moment of the battle, but before the battle even comes. When we get up in the morning, we need to be asking for grace to resist the enemy that day. For grace to walk in victory that day. And when the lies then become, we need to ask for grace in that moment as well. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 is a beautiful text. We look at it often, but I want to remind us of it. We do not have a high priest. This is referring to Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Now just pause for a minute here. So often we think about this verse, if you're like me, I often think about this in some trial I'm walking through. And Christ understands, and Christ has been a, is come in human flesh, and he understands our weakness, and we can cling to this verse as we're walking through trials and hardships, and that's an appropriate application of it. But the focus of this verse is about temptation. When we're tempted to sin, Christ is able to sympathize with our weakness. He knows how hard it is for us to walk in faith because he has walked in human flesh as well. And he has been tempted as we are. Friends, whatever lie the enemy throws at us, whatever temptation the enemy throws at us, Christ understands because he's felt it as well, but he didn't fall to it. 
He's been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Then in verse 16, what do we do with that truth? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Again, we cling to this verse so often when we're in that hardship and we're not sure what to do or seeking wisdom and that's good. But this is mostly about sin. When we're in that place of temptation, the enemy is throwing that temptation at us that we fall into over and over and over again. What do we do? Remember that Christ was tempted in that same way. He did not fall. And so we run to God saying, God, you know how weak I am. Please, please give me grace to not fall right now. And he delights in giving because he's inviting us to come to him. So how do we resist? We remember the word of God. Number two, we pray for God's help. Number three, we flee the temptation if possible. We flee the temptation if possible. Now, there's certain temptations that come that you can't run away from. But a lot of temptations that we face, we can run away from. To flee just means to run away from danger. Resisting the enemy means taking ourselves away from the temptation if possible. Now, we see this all throughout Scripture. I want to give you just four examples quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. This deals with sexual immorality. And what's the very first word? When we find ourselves tempted with sexual immorality, what do we do? What does it say? Flee. Run away from it. This is not a sin you think, oh, I can fight this. It says flee. Run away. When you're tempted with sexual immorality, run. Get away from the temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 as well. When we're dealing with a temptation of idolatry, therefore, my beloved, what do you do? You flee from idolatry. This is not the statues, though that can be part of it. But whatever idols in our heart, whatever those things are that we love more than God, when we see that, we need to run away from pursuing those things. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. It talks about the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Through this craving... That some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. When we're tempted with the love of money, what do we do? Verse 11, but as for you, O man of God, what's the next word? Flee these things. They were to run away from these temptations before they destroy us. One last one, and I think you know the words you're going to find here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. When it comes to youthful passions that destroy us, so what's the next word? Flee those youthful passions and pursue righteousness. All throughout the scripture, there's this pattern of us trying to remove ourselves by God's grace from that source of temptation when possible. Friends, when we are at a weak place of being tempted and we know we're likely to fall, it is not cowardice to run away from it. It is wisdom to run away from it. The pattern in scripture is to, to as much as possible to flee those temptations so that we can walk with God. So how do we resist Satan? It's not really mystical. We remember the word of God. We pray and we flee from it. And number four, we ask for help from other Christians. We ask for help from other Christians. Friends, this is hard for us because in our culture, we're such an individualistic self-help culture. We can do this ourselves. We're hesitant to speak up. We're hesitant to speak up because we're people pleasers and we're afraid of what other people are going to think if they know that I sin and you sin and we all try to put up this facade that we're all okay when the reality is we're all sinners saved by grace and we all need one another so desperately. We were not made to fight our temptations alone. We were made for community and one of god's grace gifts is one another so we need to ask for help from other believers ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 gives us a glimpse of that rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to christ the way that god has designed for us to grow up is we speak the truth we speak the gospel we speak the word of god to one another that means when i'm struggling with a sin i need to find believers who will come to me and speak the gospel in love to me speak the word of god to me in love and when you're struggling with temptation and sin what you need more than anything else besides the grace of god and your prayers and the word of god is you need other believers who will come alongside you and speak the truth the word of god the gospel in love to you and because our culture that's so abnormal people probably won't do that unless you initiate it 
going to take you going to them and saying, hey, I'm struggling with this sin. Would you pray for me? Would you ask me about it? Would you speak the scripture to me and help me remember God's word on these things? And friends, when we, by God's grace, resist the enemy through the word, through prayer, through fleeing, through community, notice the promise that goes with it. Go back to verse number seven in James 4 this morning. There's a great promise here. <clears throat> Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see the beauty of this? When we flee from the temptation, he then flees from us. Now, let me give an important clarification here. Satan fleeing doesn't mean he won't come back. It doesn't mean that the temptation won't return. It does not mean that your life will be easy and smooth. What this promise means is that when by the grace of God we resist Satan's schemes, he gives up for the moment because he does not have power over us. You realize that? When we, by God's grace, when he's throwing that temptation at us, even if we've fallen over and over and over again, and we run back to the word and remember scripture and pray, and we try to flee from the temptation, we get other believers to speak into it, Satan throws up his hands and walks away from it because he no longer has power over us. Because God's grace is working through those means to give us victory. Friends, God's grace will keep us falling to Satan's schemes. And as amazing as that is, though, friends, that is not victory in the battle. I think too often we stop there at that point of, I didn't sin this time, I'm okay. But friends, that's not victory. That's only half of the journey. We do not win the battle just by resisting temptation. We do not win the battle until we do what God requires. We do not win it until we've done what God requires. God's grace enables us to resist Satan's schemes so that we can then obey God. It's not victory if we just say no to the temptation. It's only victory when we then obey what God wants us to do. Look back at verse 7 here. At the very beginning of it, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Notice this word submit. It means to arrange yourself under. To submit to God means we put ourselves under the lordship of Christ. One author I was reading this week said it really well. He said this is to order our lives under God's authority and will. It's to order our lives under God's authority and God's will. And so what is God's will for our life? Well, yes, it is resisting the temptations that Satan throws at us. But God's will for our life is much bigger and much fuller and much more to temptation. God's will for our lives is to love him supremely, to worship him, to delight in his presence. God's will is for us to love one another sacrificially and to care about each other. God's will is for us to use our spiritual gifts in the church to serve. And so the church grows and the gospel goes forth. His will is for us to make Christ known to non-believers. His will is for us to serve our families and disciple our children. His will is for us to disciple one another and love one another. His will is for us to do good to others, even to our enemies, and so much more. Friends, we have not won the battle if we've only put off sin. We don't win the battle until we put on Christ's likeness and whatever those things are that Christ is calling us to do. If you think back to our study of Ephesians, we talked about holiness is not achieved by just putting off sin. Holiness comes when you put off sin and then replace it. You put on the Christ-like virtues that should be in its place. So what does that practically look like? How do we get our minds around? So I want to give you a few examples to help us think about this. So for example, I know some of my examples go back to kids, but I think I, with me living in that world, this is where my mind first goes. If your temptation, the enemy's throwing at you, is to yell at your kids. This is what our sinful flesh wants to do when our kids have hurt us or inconvenienced us. So it's what the world models it's what Satan loves because he loves homes to be disrupted. If our temptation is to yell at our kids, we resist the devil, we resist his temptation by thinking about Scripture. So I was in Ephesians about the Scripture about, about putting off clamor and yelling and things like that. We think about Scripture. We pray before we respond to our children. We ask for help from friends like, hey, I'm really struggling at how I'm treating my children at home. Would you pray for me? Would you hold me accountable on this? But if all we do is stop yelling at our kids and then we ignore them and do our own thing and just go watch TV, that's not victory. 
Victory is not found by, by not yelling at my kids, but then doing my own thing. Victory is only come when I put off that sinful yelling and I put on instead Christ's likeness. That means I, we put on gentle but firm correction to our children. We put on loving discipline and we put on intentional desire to spend time with them, to disciple them and point them to Christ. Victory only comes in that front when we put off the sin of angry yelling, but we put, we put off that sin, but we put on discipleship and firm correction and gentleness and love and all those things. Victory only comes when the sin is replaced with the Christ-like virtue. Let's do another example on that one. If the temptation is pornography, and based on the stats of what we see, people throughout the church, throughout evangelical Christianity, are enslaved to this. That means there's people here at Gateway who are probably struggling with the sin of pornography. It's a sin in its root that is purely selfish. How do you resist the devil in that? We think about scripture about purity. And there's no shortage of scriptures about purity. There's much to meditate on. You pray throughout the day. You seek to flee temptation. You do whatever steps you have to do to get rid of the access. If that means getting rid of a smartphone, you do that. You do whatever it takes to flee the temptation. You confess it to other believers and get help from mature believers who will help you walk through that. But if all you do is stop looking at pornography and you remain just as selfish in your heart as you were, but have just removed that one sin, that's not victory, friends. The victory comes not just by putting off the sin. Victory comes when we submit to God and put on a heart that wants to serve others, a heart that sees people as made in the image of God, a heart that wants to bless other people and not use them, a heart that cares for others and loves them and sees them as God sees them. That's the victory when the sin is replaced with the Christ-like virtue with a heart for people. Let's give you one more example on this. If the temptation is bitterness and unforgiveness, the enemy keeps throwing at you and stirring up your own heart desires of hanging on to those wrongs that have been done to you and hurts that have been done, in the past. How do you resist the devil in that? Well, you think about the grace of God. You run to Scripture and think about his forgiveness and what he has done for you, and there's so much on that to think on. You pray about it. You ask God for help in it. You confess to trusted friends. Hey, I'm holding on to bitterness to this person. Would you pray for me? Would you hold me accountable? Would you help me grow in this? But that's not victory. If we just stop being bitter, that's not victory. Victory only comes when we put on Christ's likeness. And what does Christ call us to do? Not just to not be bitter to our enemies, but to love our enemies. Not just to not get angry with them anymore, but to now seek to bless them and do good to them like Romans 12 lays out. So victory comes not just when we put off the sin, but victory comes when we put on the Christ likeness. That's why in verse 7 is not enough just to resist the devil, but it takes us back to submit yourselves therefore to God. Put on the, the Christ-like virtues. Replace the sin the enemy is tempting you with with Christ likeness. So bring all that back together now. God's grace enables us to resist Satan's schemes so that... We can obey God. God gives us the strength we need to put off those temptations, to resist Satan's temptations through the word and through prayer and through fleeing and through community. He gives us the grace to do that through those means. Not so. So think through the last week. How is the enemy tempting you? What are the desires in your heart that he's trying to stir up? What are the things in the world he keeps putting before you to entice you with? What are the things he's doing to try to destroy you and wreck your witness and wreck your love for God and wreck your heart to serve others? What's he doing to make you fall so that he can accuse you and sideline you from living for the glory of God? So think about that, friends. How by God's grace can you overcome that this week? Because if we're in Christ, no temptation has seized us except for what is common to man. And when we're tempted, God has promised to give us a way out. How is God going to give you the way out this week? What scriptures do you need to meditate on? What prayers do you need to pray? 
What practical steps can you take to flee? And who do you need to reach out with who's a mature believer who can help you walk in cutting off access to that and getting whatever you need for the accountability you need? I want to ask you one more question this morning, friends. Not just where's the enemy tripping you up, not just what do you need to do to resist this week, but what is God calling you to put on this week? What is it that thing that God's been calling you to do that's so hard to do and the enemy's attacking you because he doesn't want you to do that other thing? You do realize that most of the temptations you have are because the enemy's trying to stop that put on from happening. He's trying to stop you from doing those things that glorify God. What is it that God's calling you to do this week? To love your spouse well, to disciple your children, to give to people in need, to serve needy in the community, to bless someone who has been hurting you, something else only you and God know. But what is it the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart to say, this is God's will for you. Will you obey this week? Friends, this week my prayer for myself and for all of us is that we would ask God for grace upon grace upon grace that sustaining grace we talked about last week so that we have the desire to submit to god so we have the strength we need to obey him in these things and so we can find all we need to resist the enemy's attacks to keep us from doing those things god's grace enables us to resist satan's schemes so that we can obey god would you pray with me father we are thankful for your word and we are thankful you've not left us to our own defenses Lord, if we were trying to fight the battles with the world and our own flesh and the enemy on our own, God, we'd be hopeless. But God, you haven't left us in our own strength to do this. You haven't left us alone to this. God, we are thankful for the grace gift of your word that shows us the promises and the truth we need to cling to to change our thinking to counter the lies of the enemy. God, we are thankful for the grace gift of prayer that you understand our weakness and our struggles and you don't shame us or shun us from this, but you invite us to come run to your throne of grace, to confess our sins, to find mercy and forgiveness and to find the strength that we need. Lord, we're thankful as well for your grace gift of the ability to flee. Lord, when there's temptation there that we know we can't resist and you give us the way out, help us even this week see the way out so we know even where to run to flee. But Lord, we're thankful for the grace gift of community as well. Lord, you haven't made us to walk through this alone and to struggle through these things alone, but you've given us the gift of one another to pray and encourage and help. Lord, I pray this week for these precious brothers and sisters here and the ones watching from home. And God, this week, you would make us aware of the enemy's attacks. We're not for us to be fearful. Lord, don't let us lose sight of the fact that his doom is certain. But make us aware of his attacks so we can better resist, so we can better walk before you and find those ways out that you've given to us. Lord, I pray this week we would, as we saw last week, humble ourselves before you and not try to fight these sins in our own strength, Lord, but be willing to confess them to you and confess them to other believers. Lord, forgive us for hiding so much behind the facades of we're okay when we really are not. Would you grow us individually, us as a church, and being a people who are willing to be real with one another because, Lord, we are all just sinners saved by grace who so desperately need you. But Lord, would you not let us be content stopping there? Lord, we want to find victory over these sin strongholds. We want to be free from them. Lord, more than that, we want to have lives that glorify you. Like we sang earlier, we want to glorify you for the sake of your name. Because your name is so glorious. You are so worthy. Lord, you don't deserve just for us to stop sinning. Lord, you deserve and you demand for us to submit our lives to you as our Lord and to order our lives around seeking to live for your glory. And God, we cannot manufacture that. We cannot do that on us. So would you give us so much grace this week, Lord, so much sustaining grace this week, Lord, that we not only put off the sin, but, we, but our hearts are stirred to want to put on the Christ-likeness and the righteousness you're calling us to do. Lord, I pray if there's a brother or sister here in this campus or at home who's watching right now who has been enslaved by some sin stronghold for 
years and years and years, or whether it's pornography or a sexual sin, whether it's anger, whether it's bitterness or unforgiveness, whether it's selfishness, Lord, you know, Lord, this week in your love for us, would you pursue each person and chase each one of us, Lord, that we would not hide anymore with that, but we would find the freedom that Christ died to give us. And Lord, as we walk that journey, Lord, we know that our lives will be full of joy the closer we get to you, and that, Lord, you will receive all the glory. So we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song about this glorious grace that God has given to us?
God in glory, God. Be with us now as we go this week, God. Let's reflect back on this sermon, God. When we are encountered by the devil, God, may we know that we, through your grace, God, can resist him. As we reflect on scripture, God, to defeat his schemes, God, just as you did in the desert, God. Bring to mind scriptures that we know, God, to flee and resist him. on the grace that you show in our own lives, God. The salvation that you give to us, God, when you make a way, God, when there is no other way, in your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you for that grace. So you know we pray, Father. Amen. You are dismissed.